Hello, and welcome to another edition of Objective Health. I am your host, Doug, and with me in our virtual studio is Erica. And in the background on the ones and twos is Damien. Hello. So today, there have been a couple of uh, high-profile whistleblowers in the news as of late. So we thought we would take the opportunity to talk about whistleblowers, which is why I have the whistle behind me here. Um, I guess the biggest one that kind of was on the, um, in the news recently was the one where um, her name is Dr. Li Meng Yan, Li Meng Yan, um, who put out a study recently with her colleagues um, saying that there was strong evidence for the fact that the COVID virus was tinkered with. It was man-made. Um, and it was rather high profile. She was on Fox News and a couple of other kind of media appearances as well. Um, but fairly quickly after um, it all came out, she was banned from Twitter. And um, a lot of uh, smears or debunkings, whatever you want to call them, started kind of coming out in the, the main press. There was one in particular um, on RT uh, called non-scientific Chinese whistleblower claiming Beijing released man-made COVID-19 roasted by virologists blocked by Twitter. Um, so it's interesting because I mean I think um, in in my case anyway I have a tendency to um, really pay attention to what whistleblowers are saying because whistleblowers um, tend to be revealing information that we didn't previously have, <clears throat> but this one in particular was a little bit fishy. Um, and there were a couple of reasons for that. For one thing, her study wasn't really saying anything new. Um, there had already been previous studies or at least previous papers that were pointing out the same things that she and her colleagues were pointing out. Um, and the fact that it was such a big, made a big splash in the, in the media and everything like that. Um, and then shortly after not only do you have a bunch of virologists kind of coming out and smearing it and saying it's not a good study and blah, 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 blah. It also turns out that Steve Bannon is his group is behind the release of the study, his group called the Rule of Law Society and Rule of Law Foundation. Now, that's not necessarily, you know, not to be um, smearing it just because Steve Bannon was behind it, although Steve Bannon is certainly a bit dodgy, but it's kind of undeniable that he is a, well, he's a self-proclaimed China hawk. Um, and he, his, like, it seems like his modus operandi, no, that's the wrong word, his vested interest is in smearing China, essentially. He, like, so that seems like what is the purpose behind this study, not to show that it was man-made um, and to question that and put out... Um, that idea, but more to smear China, make China look bad. Um, and that, that seems like what was really kind of behind the whole thing. Now, the problem is that as people are want to do, they will throw the baby out with the bathwater. Um, and because this study, which is maybe not a very good study and maybe is um, overreaching in a lot of ways, is smearing the entire idea that the virus was actually tinkered with or entirely man-made. Um, 
And there is a lot of evidence, as we've covered on this show previously, there is a great deal of evidence showing that this is probably the case. So now in people's minds, you know, Joe Public out there thinks, um, somebody says, oh, uh, the virus was man-made, and they're like, well, no, that was debunked. And it's like, well, one study might have been debunked. Not even necessarily debunked, but smeared. Um, but that doesn't mean that the entire idea is wrong. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. What do you think, Erica? And it's, yeah, I think you're right. I mean, just reading through it, it's, it's technical about what she's actually discovered. Mm-hmm. But the fact that these, this kind of research has been going on, you know, I mean, Judy Mikovits is another person that kind of is a whistleblower that came out and just said, you know, we've been tinkering with these types of viruses for years. Mm-hmm. So as you said, throwing the baby out with the bathwater, like maybe it's not exactly what's going on, but the fact that, you know, just dismiss the whole thing as false, I think is really not the way to go for people. I think there's something to it and, you know, who has the time to tease out the facts and, and follow it so closely when there's so much swirling evidence about everything. I mean, it just seems, as I was saying before the show, in the last month or so, it's like information is on steroids and mm-hmm. it's just, so, we're just inundated with so much. So some of these things go through your newsfeed and you're, oh, oh, yeah, that's BS or whatever, and you move on. But I do think there's something, especially after our censorship show, that Twitter would censor it. Mm-hmm. Why, why, why would they block the information? Why would they censor it? What would be the, you know, are they claiming it's fake, fake news? I mean, even that now is just so yeah. confusing. It's well, because there's always an agenda. You know, I think um, people were actually praising Twitter for having censored it and said, oh, yeah, they were quick on that one. They, they knew it was fake. And it's like, no, they didn't. They just censor anything that's getting a lot of traction that goes against the COVID narrative, essentially. So, yeah, okay, maybe that was a D, or maybe they had prior knowledge. If this was a straw man, you know, if this was actually set up to um, be, what's the uh, controlled opposition, you know, mm-hmm. if they actually, if this was actually put out for the very purpose of um, smearing the idea that. Um, the the virus was actually man-made, then Twitter might have had prior knowledge or they might have just heard from Mm -hmm. whoever's above Twitter and controlling them like, yeah, um, censor this lady. Um, We need this to look like uh, we're we're putting, you know, putting down the real information when really it's it's, it's a setup. But also it's interesting that you mentioned uh, Judy Mikovits because the one thing that kind of um, made me suspicious of this one is that it was, she is so adamant that it was done by China and that it came out of China. And I remember Judy Mikovits was saying, and there seems to be a lot of evidence for the idea that it came out of Fort Detrick in, um, in the U.S. and that it was actually brought to Wuhan during the military games um, by accident or on purpose, you know, hard to say. But um, the fact that she was coming out and kind of putting out this narrative that no, the, the, the Chinese did it and they did it on purpose, I was kind of like, well, okay, you know, you want to take all information in and kind of sort through it and that sort of thing. But it, does, it did stand out for me that that was kind of um, contradictory to what, uh, to what Mikovitz has said. 
Well, and it's getting a little bit of press, like uh, just reading about it in the article um, on Dr. Mercola's site, uh, about halfway down, they talk about why the cover-up. And I thought this was interesting that a Boston Magazine um, author had a good quote that said, if the public and politicians really knew about the dangerous pathogen pathogen research being conducted in many laboratories, they'd be outraged, mm-hmm. denying the possibility of a catastrophic incident like this then could be seen as a form of career preservation. So again, you know, this idea of whistleblowers is like, it is a concern. And, um, you know, sharing that concern could really cast out for people that are um, attached to one idea or the other. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, maybe we should move on. There was another whistleblower um, recently. Um, and there was an article on Target Liberty uh, called The Heroic CDC Insider William Cruz Ripped Anthony Fauci and the CDC. And this one is kind of an interesting story because it turns out that this guy has been working with Anthony Fauci uh, for a long time and kind of had a side project where he had he was writing on a, a blog. I think it was called uh, redstate.com. He was writing for under a pseudonym. And basically giving lots of information about the kind of the inside deal on what was going on there and really spared no um, words on what was actually going on. He called uh, Fauci attention grubbing, excuse me, attention grubbing and media whoring Anthony Fauci um, and was basically very vocal about the fact that he thought there was absolutely no reason for people to be locked down that the whole thing was um, essentially a complete scam. He said, I think we're at the point where it is safe to say that the entire Wuhan virus scare was nothing more or less than a massive fraud perpetrated on the American people by experts, in quotes, who are determined to fundamentally change the way the country lives and is organized and governed. You know, so this is the kind of thing that he's doing on the side while um, working for... Fauci, essentially. I don't know if he was working kind of side by side with him or anything like that, but he's, you know, certainly working for the same organizations. Well, and he's a public affairs specialist. So this is what his job is, is to, you know, make sure the message goes out as planned. And um, it's pretty damning. Uh, Not a lot of information out there, but uh, I can only imagine over the years of reading about the CDC, what people see and what they're afraid to share. And it sounds like, you know, on his redstate.com website, he he went under a pseudonym so he could actually start to leak some of this information. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I mean, people are basically calling him a hero that, um, Mm -hmm. and it was, it was kind of recently, I don't know. I don't know the story behind how he was at, it actually came out that this is what he was doing. Um, but he actually resigned from his position um, at the CDC. He was at the CDC, right? Yes, he was. Yeah. Um, so he's resigned from his position there because, well, I mean, I guess you would have to if it came out and said, oh, yeah, by the way, I've been uh, on the side. I've been uh, telling all your secrets online. Um, but... Um, yeah, he's resigned from that. I don't believe he's still writing 
for Red State, or at least I don't think he has for a while. Um, so he might have just gone quiet for a bit, um, which is kind of understandable. But hopefully, um, hopefully he'll be back because he's kind of a a quiet hero, shall we say? I, I liked his quote that it's uh, it is a hotbed of progressive activity. It also has more than its share of idiots, and ninety percent of the people who work there should be named Karen. They desperately <laughs> want to manage your life. <laughs> <laughs> That's exactly how I would picture it was at the CDC, actually. <laughs> Not surprising. <laughs> well, and, you know, for our listeners, in, in this idea of whistleblowers, um, this kind of made me go down the rabbit hole of the CDC because we've talked a lot about them. But, you know, back in 2014, 15, William Thompson came out mm -hmm. and longtime CDC researcher and publicly admitted he concealed evidence that showed uh, the MMR vaccine had connections to autism, particularly in black boys. And he went on to release some all of the data that actually showed this that was uh, hidden and um, you know, kind of following it for a while, you're like, well, what's going to happen? Is there going to be a congressional hearing? Will he testify? Um, you know, what's going to become of this? And um, absolutely nothing became yeah. of it. It was almost like he just disappeared. He, out of good conscience, and if you um, look on SOT.net, you can just type in CDC whistleblower and you will find endless articles about William Thompson. I can't remember if it was like 600 pages of information. And, it was um, close to 1,000. Yeah, I mean, it was know. a lot. Mm -hmm. um, and so he's kind of notorious for confessing. My concern has been the decision to omit relevant findings in a particular study for a particular subgroup for a particular vaccine. There have always been recognized risks for vaccinations, and I believe it is the responsibility of the CDC to properly convey the risks with receipt of those vaccines. And, you know, he basically is saying that I, I could no longer do this in good conscience. I couldn't keep quiet anymore. And then, you know, now we're in this reigniting of the whole anti-vaxxer, vaxxer thing. And somebody like this has amazing information that would shed light on the fact that what you're being told is not what's really yeah. being researched. The studies are being fixed and, and, uh, and, whistleblowers obviously have a conscience. They risk their life. They risk their job. Um, you know, during this whole kind of release of info, he was, uh, you know, protected. And so I think some people thought if he just uh, was able to testify in front of Congress and actually get it down on um, paper and in the docket that it would be documented and it just disappeared. Well, it looks like my face dropped out of that. <laughs> so. Yeah. I mean, the whole thing, it's, it's kind of a weird case too, because he was, he said that he wouldn't, he wouldn't do interviews with press or anything like that, but he um, said that he would testify in front of, con uh, in front of Congress. Right. Mm -hmm. And I think that for some reason, and I don't know why it was some kind of legalistic kind of thing. It was actually left up to 
the CDC to uh, determine whether or not he could testify. Mm -hmm. Um, And it was left up to them, and they obviously said no. So that's yeah. why we don't hear anything from him. It's just, it's just kind of ridiculous. It's kind of like, hey, can we uh, have one of your employees uh, come out and uh, basically tell us why you're all criminals? Um, <laughs> no, I, I, think, I don't think that that's in our best interest. Thank you very much. It's like, you know, how it, it just doesn't make any sense how that decision would be left up to the CDC. I just find it, it stunning, basically. Yeah. Well, and also the the information that he ended up revealing was from a study back in 2004. So now you're seeing that this is spanning decades mm. of time, you know, and, and kind of like the China case. I mean, is it going to be another 10 years? And, you know, for those of us that follow this stuff and are interested in it, um, you know, that's one thing, but for people who, you know, information goes in and out and, and, and oh, well, just business as usual, move on. You know, I really, uh, I really, it's concerning to me that it is putting the pieces together here and seeing, uh, I mean, we've said many times that uh, the CDC is obviously not a reputable association. That's, uh, yeah, that's an understatement. But still, like in the U.S., uh, you know, they are they are the ones that are leading the mandates as recommended mandates as far as affecting every aspect of every single person's life right now. And and that's a lot of power to have for uh, an organization that has proven time and again to withhold information, to falsify information, to destroy information. Yeah. And then to control the narrative afterwards. You know, they did the same thing to Andrew Wakefield. Mm-hmm. And, you know, again, 10 years later, you know, Andrew Wakefield just made a documentary. I haven't had an opportunity to see it, but, you know, these guys have had their livelihoods destroyed and they're mm-hmm. obviously acting out of conscience to, sh- conscience to share this information against all odds. Because do, the people do need to know yeah, I do think people need to know. I mean, you know. Yeah, well, that's why it was good. I mean, William Thompson's story, a lot of it was told in Vaxxed. Um, mm-hmm. And I mean, that was good. That I mean, it got a significant amount of um, traction, I guess you would say. Um, but unfortunately, a lot, of, um, a lot of these whistleblowers who are coming out don't tend to get a lot of traction. You know, they kind of make a, mm-hmm. a few rounds in the in the in the press, um, or the alternative press, anyway. Often they're completely ignored by the uh, the actual press um, or the mainstream press, I guess you would say, and they don't get a lot of traction. And that kind of information that they're bringing out doesn't actually see the light of day. Um, or, I mean, in the case of big profile ones like Julian Assange or something like that, they just get smeared, right? It's kind of mm-hmm. like. The, the weight and the significance of the information that they're bringing out gets completely dwarfed by the smear campaign against them. You know, Julian Assange is smeared as treasonous, right? He was putting lives in danger. He was putting out information that should not be put out. Um, and everything that he's revealing, or, or the other thing that's always said about him is that he lost the election for Hillary Clinton, right? That it's entirely his fault that Trump is in and everybody hates Trump. So, you know... 
And it's like the, the actual evidence that he was bringing out is completely dwarfed by all of that. In fact, that's how the mainstream press seems to work. It's like, let's draw attention away from the egregious crimes that these people are bringing forward and we'll completely just put the focus on what a bad person this whistleblower is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So unfortunately, you don't actually see a lot of these whistleblowers getting the traction that they should. Like this information should be front page news um, for everybody to see. All the normies looking at it going, oh my God, this is unbelievable. But it doesn't happen. It never no. seems to happen. And that the Julian Assange case is going on right now. You know, his, wh- mm-hmm. whatever it's extradition or, you know, yeah. they're trying to get him to the United States. I can't, I don't, I'm not exactly sure what the crimes are. But basically, like, for all of us that are interested in it, this case will be a huge determinant of what journalists can do in the future. Mm -hmm. And there was an article I read on RT called uh, Pilger Assange Going Underground. And I can put the link up. If we lose WikiLinks, we lose a whole stratum of freedom. And that's John Pilger. And basically, you know, he's saying that... uh, the attack on WikiLeaks is emblematic for the current state of journalism in the West, which has betrayed its mandate to be the public's watchdog for the actions of their government. And, you know, I mean, just take that narrative to COVID-1984 that we're in right now and people who are trying to report on things that are happening, information that's revealed and they're silenced, they're criticized, they're berated, they're shadow banned. You know, the American public has a a right to know what's going on behind the scenes, what kind of policies are being made because it affects us Mm -hmm. as individuals. And, uh, you know, we constantly on this show feel like it's an uphill you know, rolling a bowling ball or whatever that saying is. <laughs> just 10 steps forward and then you slide back down and oh my gosh, you know, and it, it's just getting be, it's getting harder and harder to navigate. But these whistleblowers, I think, uh, are doing a huge service and they're taking a great risk in trying to just at least get people to question what narrative they're willingly gobbling down and not asking where it's coming from. Why? What would be the intention behind that? I mean, back to Cruz, you know, he's obviously showing a part of the CDC that you and I, Doug, and our listeners know is true. But for most people, well, they say that we should do this and they say we should do that. And, you know, they would never lead us astray. You know, they're a an uh, organization that's funded by for our best interest, and mm, no, <laughs> not no, really, definitely not. Yeah. Well, there was another. Speaking of things that don't really seem to go anywhere, <laughs> there was that <laughs> Google whistleblower a while back. Um, what was the Zach Voorhees? Yeah, I was thinking of a different one actually, one? but Zach Voorhees mm. is another one. Um, but uh, well, maybe we'll talk about Zach Voorhees as well. But um, the one I was thinking of was the one. Um, it was published in the Guardian. Um, it was just called "I'm the Google Whistleblower." The medical data of millions of Americans is at risk. And basically, he was going into he or she. We don't know who it was. Um, was going into the something that they called Project Nightingale, or they just called it Nightingale, or something like that. And it was essentially Google was. Um, 
taking like millions of medical profiles, medical data from, from millions of people, from insurance companies and things like that, and consolidating them. And they had this idea that they were going to make this big kind of um, uh, medical database, cloud. essentially. Yeah, a cloud. A cloud of medical information and all this kind of stuff. But they were being so careless with it. And they weren't protecting it. They weren't, you know, usually when people are dealing with data like that, they separate out any identifiers of the individual. Right, so that that data is out there, but there's no way for somebody like a hacker or something like that to be able to attach that information to a specific person. But they didn't decouple those things. Those things, it was so all the identifiers were still on there, and they were doing all this kind of stuff. And and a whistleblower finally like kind of had enough, and also they were doing it without the consent of all the people. Right, they didn't have permission from these people for their data to be given to Google. Um, mm-hmm. So this whistleblower kind of came forward and said, this isn't right. Um, people should have a choice in this, and this stuff is not being protected. I mean, you think about the hacks of, uh, I don't know, some companies. Like, you hear about hacks all the time where it's like, you know, credit card company gets hacked, and suddenly, like, um, all, all of your information is just out there. Um, and, you know, the, the level of this one, would if it had actually been hacked, would have been absolutely massive. And they were being careless mm-hmm. with it. But... You know, this was back November of last year, so November 2019. I don't, I haven't heard anything more about this. You know, no, are, is Google all. still working on this, or are, have they fixed the problems that were out there? I don't know. Well, especially now in this age of you know um, biosecurity, as kind of one of the terms that's been used about you know people being ill mm-hmm. or being tested and the test results now are available to anybody willy-nilly. I mean, in this article, they talk about HIPAA violations and those are very serious violations for people outside of the U.S. It's basically your medical information is protected and no one has access to, to it but you and your doctor and they take it very seriously. Like you can be charged with violating people's medical rights, you know what I mean? But now I'm wondering if, like you said, it's nothing's become of it because it just quietly slipped into one of the many nefarious things that Google's doing and Nightingale's up and running. And they're, you know, if you think about the clear pass or the uh, immunity ID we've talked about in previous shows, like, well, now they just have all your information and maybe they don't access it right away, but there's some sort of backdoor that they can. Mm. I mean, I'm not enough of a techie to know, but no, I would imagine it's, it's not that hard to. uh, Yeah to do that well i guess we should talk about zach Voorhees. he was another yeah. one um actually around the same time last year in november um i think mm-hmm. a little bit before zach Voorhees was a i think he was an independent contractor who was working with google um and he basically over the course of yeah i don't remember off the top of my head it was basically oh here it is he served as a senior software engineer at Google YouTube for 8.5 years. So eight That's and a half a long years. Time. Yeah. And over the course <laughs> of that time, he was grabbing documents 
of kind of these egregious violations that they were doing, how they were controlling things, you know, behind the scenes. He says that kind of like before Trump, they had this idea that, oh, we're going to be uh, uh, allow people to have access to all this information and we're going to kind of change the world in in uh having you know being people being able to uh to have all this access to information and he said after trump got elected suddenly everything changed and they were like well trump got elected because of fake news so now it's our job to actually control fake news and he was talking about all the kind of stuff that they were doing behind the scenes to try and manipulate data it's like all of a sudden they went from let's provide all the data to let's control the data let's control what everybody has access to because then we can control who they vote for and essentially we can control the world that way so um mercola interviewed him a while back last year um in november uh the article was called google whistleblower zach Voorhees speaks out and yeah he was basically going into specifically in regards to um, health sites, like alternative health sites like Mercola. Um, but, you know, it, it applies across the board. It's not just the health information that was being suppressed. But talking about how, you know, they shadow ban people and they um, censor videos, they, um, you know, with Mercola, they've done so much to Mercola, it's actually insane. Like, they, they, you basically cannot find Mercola on Google anymore. You know, at first they just mm-hmm. kept on pushing him further, further, and further back in the results. So you couldn't find Mercola before page 20 or something like that. Even if you typed in Mercola in your search, it wouldn't come up. Um, and now I think it's just gone completely. Um, so, yeah, I mean, you know, controlling elections, controlling the health information that's out there. These guys, like, you know, if, if it wasn't for Voorhees or, you know, people like uh, Snowden or Assange even, like these these kinds of of crimes really that they're um committing against us would not be out there you wouldn't actually know about this kind of stuff you probably suspect it but um i mean these guys actually are providing like the solid proof essentially yeah and that article is really great because it really applies now because here we are again in this like election time and Uh, you know, information is so imperative. And um, in the article, uh, Henanen is that she was one of the uh, women that interviewed him as well. She basically said, like, Google has become a digital thought police and um, made a quote from 1984, George Orwell's novel, part of techno fascism is to confuse people. So their sense of memory is altered. Mm -hmm. They don't know what is real and what is not real. We're now living in confusing times with fake news and alternative facts. And that is all part of it. And so I think this really applies now, even though these things came out last year, it's good to go back and reread since we always do that for this show. And you just Mm -hmm. go, Oh my gosh, like this could be today right Mm -hmm. now. You know, we just did this show on health sites getting censored and mm-hmm. banned. And now we see this coming back. And now how do we know this is not going to completely play into what type of information people are getting for this up and coming election mm-hmm. or even what's going to happen with all of this virus mandate? I mean, I know in parts of the world now they're going into a second lockdown like You know what I mean? This is, again, complete control of people's lives. Mm -hmm. And you are so inundated with so much confusing information. And is it fake news? Is it not fake news? Again, it really plays on to people just checking out. 
because they're completely overwhelmed. Well, I'll just see what happens, you know, doesn't really affect me until it does affect you. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And I mean, it's, it's interesting too, because when you look back at this, um, this Mercola article and the Zach Voorhees thing, like all this was pre COVID, right? Yeah. So it's like the focus that's on here is more, um, that the pharmaceutical interests, which Google is obviously like playing towards, right? Like they, they mm-hmm. are, um, hooked up with the pharmaceutical companies. So when anybody's looking for health information, they lead them in directions like, um, you know, WebMD or any of those kind of, you know, very mainstream uh, pharma perspective on any of these diseases or any of that kind of thing. And it obviously, it serves a financial interest in that way. Well, now, post-COVID, it's kind of like that, it, it's even it's even more controlled. Like, it's even more, like they have an even um, more of an incentive to control the narrative on what's going on. So... Yeah. Yeah, so it it kind of seems like you know even just talking about the um, the the Chinese um, study that was uh, banned, you know, she was banned from uh, from Twitter. Um, it's the same kind of thing, like you know, the social media, all these sorts of things are very much in control of the narrative and very much putting forward um, a particular perspective on this COVID thing. Um, so yeah, I mean. It, it, we are coming kind of on the verge of complete information control, you know, top to bottom where it's total like, information awareness. <laughs> yeah. You know, Oh, that was some crazy conspiracy plot. You guys all wearing those tinfoil hats thought, yeah. you know, they're going to control information. They're going to subliminally, subliminally implant thoughts into your brain. Yeah. You would have sounded like a crazy person. Yeah. Yeah. That's what's happening. Yeah, that exactly. is, you know, well, that even reminds it's me. So subtle. Yeah, it is. It's very subtle. That even reminds me. I mean, people should look into um, Robert Epstein, who, you know, different Epstein, not the, the <laughs> notorious uh, pedophile. But um, Robert Epstein, um, who actually unfortunately died just recently, um, he was actually doing studies and showing that uh, the amount of control that Google um, had over um, voter preference like how they could sway elections through things mm-hmm. like search engine manipulation. So, I mean, his stuff is fascinating and, you know, just uncovering this evil, you know, like how these people can completely sway the public in the direction that they want to sway them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So do, do do we have any solutions or positives? <laughs> yeah, go take on Google. <laughs> solutions. I don't know, man. Stay solutions, informed. Solutions, Yeah. Stay informed and stay connected to information channels. I think that's the big one. You know, we're so used to kind of relying on things like, you know, stuff coming up in your social media and, you know, being aware in that way, but I think that that we need to be quite proactive about finding information streams that are reliable um, mm-hmm. and somewhat dependable. I mean, you know, follow Mercola, follow Sot. You know, those are kind of good information streams that they the sites themselves aren't going anywhere yet, right? Um, yeah. I mean, I guess this isn't really along the lines of whistleblowers, but. But if you stay, you know, stay connected to those, um, 
you know those data streams um, that are dependable that you can you can kind of count on, you'll probably hear about those um, those whistleblowers that are kind of bringing bringing that good information out. Yeah. Well, and in whistleblowers too, you know, again, like just like you said in the very beginning, don't throw the baby out with the bathwater. Like it, it, maybe it's not conforming to your idea of what things are what's going on or your information input or whatnot. But, you know, there is something to be parsed out of there. Mm -hmm. And it's, I've kind of, my strategy as of late is what are, what is not being said? Mm -hmm. What type of omitting is happening? What type Mm -hmm. of omissions, you know, like if, if you're listening to somebody in a documentary or anything, what are they not addressing? What information? And that's kind of a good way to go. Oh, well, I noticed that they just, you know, you see that a lot in the vaccination debates. Like they just kind of fluff over all, well, all those studies, you know, we don't really know. And then the real core of the issue is like, well, uh, you know, we've never done a study where it tests, tests unvaccinated children against vaccinated children. Like that would be, that would kind of settle the, the debate pretty quickly. But that won't happen. And so those kinds of things are never brought up. And that that seems to be a good way to kind of get your critical thinking going. It's like, well, what what's being left out of the narrative? Mm-hmm. That, that's just what I've been doing lately. It can be exhausting mentally, but yeah. yeah. It's not, SOT's a great place to go because there's just everything on there. <laughs> yeah, definitely. <laughs> the good, the bad, the ugly, <laughs> the disturbing. <laughs> Yeah, and always some good com- comics uh, as a little bit of relief, right? Yeah, because you got to have, you got to, you got to not fall into that. Oh my gosh, it's doom and gloom. You got to have a sense of humor about things because yeah, it, it can really weigh you down. As we've experienced in the past on our shows, there were just times where we we're like, oh my gosh, <laughs> is this even our reality? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, so don't burn out. Other than. Don't burn out. Yeah. And, yeah. and, you know, it's okay to take a little digital detox every now and again. Mm-hmm. So. Okay. Well, I think that's what we've got to say about whistleblowers. So thanks everybody for joining us. Um, we will be back next week with another super fantastic, awesome show. Uh, thanks to Erica and Damien. And be sure to like and subscribe and all that good stuff. And we will see you next time.